the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Thursday, February 24th, 2022, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Ukraine and Russia, obviously a huge part of the news, if not the dominant story. We will cover it, uh, I promise you, uh, starting momentarily. I wanted to do this, however, because there's no other good time to do it, and I cannot let it pass. We begin our text today with a reading from CNN yesterday. This is CNN's go-to physician, a professor of medicine at George Washington University and a Washington Post columnist, Dr. Leanna Wen. Here with what she said on CNN yesterday. Brianna, this study is sobering, but not at all surprising. We know that school has benefit for children, and therefore when kids are pulled out of school, and also with the uncertainty of not knowing when they're going to go back, that that has detrimental impacts, certainly on emotional well-being, on stress, including of the parents and caregivers who now don't know what to do about, about working at the same time. But also now we see that there are very specific impacts on cognitive development, on motor, and other milestones for children. Also, we see that there are huge disparities in the study that those parents and families that are the most vulnerable, most disadvantaged are the ones that are hurt the most. And so at this point, we really need policies that aim to keep children in school. Perhaps, for example, not having quarantine if children are exposed, having tests to stay or other programs. And we also need to be attentive to these long-term consequences. Can we work to close these rampant and wide educational disparities? Uh, now, now we don't need to quarantine students anymore. If you read the study Dr. Wen is citing to, it says, quote, this study showed the harmful effects of COVID outbreak on children's cognitive and motor skills. They don't mean the COVID outbreak. They mean the response to the COVID outbreak. But fair enough. Onward, the study reads, early math and literacy performance are strong predictors of academic outcomes in primary school. And they be, may be the most difficult to comp- compensate at home for because they require teaching expertise, appropriate activities and materials, and quality stimulation from caregivers, wrote one of the auth- authors. Losses we have seen were uneven across developmental areas, with the largest deficits being in motor language and logical mathema- mathematical skills mathematical skills. Researchers found that during the pandemic, still quoting, the cognitive and motor development skills of children at age five suffered the most, followed by their attitudes toward learning. Stay-at-home measures also led to a drastic decrease in physical activity, which may also explain the underdevelopment of motor skills. Avoidant and anxious behaviors in children is a result of increased parental stress or increased teacher stress. An unexpected finding was that the COVID cohort exhibited less aggressive behaviors when compared to the control group. Unexpected? Unexpected by who? Many of us were talking and writing about the expectation of just this, even calling it 
a second pandemic two years ago and being condemned for it when we weren't being censored for it. Because, you know, it's not what the party, capital P, or the crisis industrial complex wanted. It's almost as if they were looking forward to a secondary crisis once the original started to wind down. You got whiffs of that with each new variant and even the talk of, do you remember this, a cold and dark winter of illness and death this past Christmas as the weakest of the variants spread in the United States? Whatever happened to that Christmas of darkness, illness, and death, by the way? No, if you're a Democrat, you can just say things, and it won't matter whether they bear out to be true or not. Now, here's the kicker about all those pro-science, pro-children, pro-public health, pro-safety, pro-underachieving, and underprivileged leftists. Let me read this from the report, quote, study, quote, losses among children from more privileged schools were less pronounced. Relatedly, children who had already been struggling at age four classrooms displayed larger developmental losses, thus increasing the achievement gap. The findings can directly inform public policy by targeting interventions at children at greater risk. This is particularly relevant to educational achievements since cognitive skills during the transition from preschool to primary school are predictors of later academic outcomes, a phenomenon that is studied under the concept of school readiness, close quote. I love that word there again, unexpected. Here's what I wrote for Fox News with Bill Bennett in May of 2020, nearly two years ago. Quote, H.G. Wells once said human history becomes more and more a race between education and catastrophe. Closing our schools out of fear of COVID was just such a catastrophe. As more and more fear of the coronavirus was spreading throughout March, again, this is 2020, schools started to close indefinitely. It was perhaps understandable that at the beginning of the outbreak, with predictions of millions dead, we quickly and immediately put a pause on our nation's schools. But as the evidence became clearer that children were far more affected by other and worse problems for them than the coronavirus, like drowning, the schools should have opened up. The closings have caused and will cause even more social damage for a great many of these children and their parents than the coronavirus ever would, all to protect children from a disease that will not directly affect them. Yes, children can be carriers and transmitters of the coronavirus, but that was and is true of the influenza or flu as well. And it is increasingly apparent that children not only are more severely affected by the flu than the coronavirus, but they can transmit it more easily as well. And we never closed the schools down because of the flu. As one study from the British Medical Journal put it, quote, children have not played a substantive role in the intra-household transmission of coronavirus, or as Daniel Koch, the chief of infectious disease prevention in Switzerland, put it even more directly, quote, young children are not infected and do not transmit the virus like adults. Because of the scare, we continued to write, we have radically upended our children's educational and social lives. As former New York Times reporter Alex Berenson put it, the idea that we are denying children in an ed education and in some cases sticking children at home with abusive or drug-using parents and they can't be seen by any other adults right now is disgusting because children are not the risk or problem here, close quote. We went on and on in our op-ed 
op-eds, but you get the idea. And I dedicated that I have no idea how I, I just I, I just decided I have no idea how many monologues I spent on this throughout the year 2020. 20, maybe? 30? 40? All of them. Even when citing HHS, HHS data exclusively were censored by YouTube. And now we have a new crisis. And on top of it, 20,000 more drug overdose deaths. Fire the epidemiologists now. Get ready for the psychiatrists. You can scare the hell out of children pretty easily if you want to. We just kind of always viewed our society as one that would do any and everything to envelop them in safety and care. We. It wasn't our side that used children in nuclear war ads against our opponents running for president when our candidates had names like Goldwater and Reagan. And it wasn't we who thought children should be put on the front lines of the battlefield as if we were some sort of tyrannical Islamo-fascist regime like what the besiege in Iran deployed in the 1980s using children as human mind sweepers with little keys on their necks to enter the kingdom of heaven should they find a mine. The Children of the Corn was supposed to be a dystopia and scare adults, not serve as a public policy prescription for adults to use against children or fear children for their maladjusted, authoritarian, and crisis-driven personality and political disorders. All of this was just so damned unnecessary. As we are watching Vladimir Putin march through Ukraine like a scythe through butter, it's probably worth quoting Winston Churchill again from his memoirs, Honor, of World War II. He wrote them, he said, because, quote, it is important to rely upon authentic contemporary records and the expressions of opinions set down when all else was obscure, close quote. Kind of interesting, huh? Everything was obscure, so it required him to put it down on paper. When all was obscure. Not all in our case, but most. Censorship and censure are pretty good tools to obscure things. But it was what Churchill wrote in the next sentence in the book The Gathering Storm, his memoirs, I cannot get out of my head. And it's as applicable to what is taking place in Europe today as what we did to ourselves and most especially our children here over the last two and a half years. Quote, one day President Roosevelt told me that he was asking publicly for suggestions about what the war should be called. I said at once the unnecessary war. For there was never a war more easy to stop. And he concluded this way. Quote, it is my earnest hope that pondering upon the past may give guidance in days to come. Enable a new generation to repair some of the errors of former years and thus govern in accordance with the needs and glory of man the awful unfolding scenes of the future. Close quote. I give you our current crisis in need of the greatest of repairs just now, and all because we neglected the needs and the glory of man at the expense of nurturing a crisis for political purposes and using our children as the chief weaponry. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, brought to you in part by the good folks at the Midas Gold Group. Gold's been used as money for nearly 3,000 years. Today, it remains a common-sense investment that's both simple and straightforward, and you don't need pushy commissioned salespeople to tell you why you should buy gold. You already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Midas Gold Group, they're veteran-owned and proud supporters of America First and this show right here on 960 AM. They're fighting for your right to financial freedom and privacy that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of our listeners know and trust themselves. Midas Gold Group. Visit them in person at 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix or give them a call at 480-360-3000 or online at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. All right, let's get to uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia and the United States. Uh, I I don't know if you watched the 24-minute press conference Joe Biden delivered earlier uh, today. would have been around somewhere around 11 or 12. In the 11 o'clock hour, as I say, 24 minutes, he did take about five questions and he lost the room. He lost the entirety of every journalist he called on. In fact, one might say Peter Ducey was the most respectful of them. Credit to him, at least for calling on Peter Ducey. Um, Let me mark out clearly that I have never been the kind of conservative that says, oh, if you've lost ABC or if you've lost the New York Times, because you never really lose them as long as you're on the same side. You lose them no more than you would lose voting for a party over one politician saying something you don't like one time. They will cover for them. That's not the crime in losing the room. That's not the problem, I should say, in losing the room as he did today. You know what the problem was in losing the room? had nothing to do with the relationship between the ABC or CBS or the New York Times and Joe Biden had nothing to do with that, because, as I say, that'll be repaired by, oh, probably tonight. The problem with it is exposing ourselves, exposing Noah's nakedness here, exposing ourselves not only to the rest of the world, but particularly at this time to Vladimir Putin. Is it a good idea going up against a man like this, a dictator like this, a threat like this? Is it a good idea to put up? a ghost of a man, a shadow of a man who reverses everything he said in his opening remarks under the pressure of simple questions and answers. Is that what you want? Is that what is going to help solve this crisis? Is that what is going to keep American allies, much less Americans, safe? No, quite the opposite. What am I talking about? uh, I'm not going to play you the audio because it's so... It's so disheartening. It's just so disheartening. But I will read you from the official White House transcript. He says, today I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe costs on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. Remember that word, severe costs. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize, remember that word, the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies, maximize, additionally strong sanctions. And then he goes into talking with the allies and how they're going to be helpful. And then he says, we are going to excuse me, we are going to impose major and we are going to impair their ability to compete 
in a high-tech 21st century economy. So now it's major, it is maximal, and it is severe. That is what we are doing to Russia. You know who knows none of that is true? Russia. So too did the reporters. So too did the reporters. When Joe Biden was asked and pressed on uh, how quickly he could see these sanctions hitting the Russian government or people, he said, quote, reading again from the White House transcript, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. That has to, this is going to take time. And we have to show resolve. So he knows what's coming. And so that the people of Russia know what he's brought on them. That's what this is all about. And it's going to take time. It's not going to occur. He's not going to say, oh, my God, these sanctions are coming. I'm going to stand down. Well, how much time do you think Putin needs to swallow the Ukraine? And do you think that Joe Biden's timeline will do enough to save Ukraine with these sanctions we were just told were maximal and severe and harsh? Three weeks? Putin will have all of Ukraine in a week, if not less, if not less. It's just embarrassing, and it's embarrassing to keep using this word sanctions. We're going to have an in-depth conversation with Brandon Weikert again this week. The Times demand it in our third hour. You're not going to want to miss it. Brandon is on fire over this. But let's just talk about sanctions for a moment if we can. I've now said this three days in a row. It's worth repeating. Sanctions have never worked against an enemy country. Sanctions from the United States to an enemy country to get them to change their behavior have never worked. Now do it after the fact. Now take fecklessness and do it not before the fact, but after the fact. And you have yet more dissuitude and fecklessness. On and on, the president went out, went, went about for the 24 minutes of his press conference talking about how much time this is going to take. He said one other thing that should concern in a question and answer. He was asked, did you underestimate Putin by Peter Ducey? Did you underestimate him and would you describe him the way that you did in the summer as a worthy adversary? The president said, I didn't underestimate him. I've read most of everything he's written. You heard the speech he made, almost an hour's worth of speeches, why he was going into Ukraine. He has much larger ambitions in Ukraine. He wants to, in fact, reestablish the former Soviet Union. That's what this is about. Oh, does he? I don't doubt it. What are we prepared to do about it? You, th you think we're going to go to war against Estonia? Estonia is a member of NATO. It's part of the old Soviet Union. What conditions and preparation has Joe Biden set up for the American people, our allies or our enemies, to think that there is anything this president will do or can do to stop Putin's march? More in a moment. I'm Seth Liebson, 
We'll do it later. We'll do it later. I think I'm on to something. That's what I'm talking to Bill. I think I'm on to blowing up a big series of cultural myths when it comes to a Wrigley's commercial. (laughs) We'll deal with that a little later. Listener Charles writes in, under Trump, we had energy independence, energy production, secure borders, peace through strength, Reagan style, a built up military, a truth teller on the world stage. Civilian production of goods on the rise, peace treaties in the Middle East, Afghanistan's quiet withdrawal, a non-woke military community, terrorists marginalized, if not taken off the field forever, and Biden reversed all of it. If you cannot connect the dots, seeing how Putin could, as a result, find confidence to do what he wants, then you just might be Joe Biden. John Hinderocker, as always, has it just about the way I see it. He watched Joe Biden's press conference as well, and he made six observations I should like to share with you just because he's more articulate than I. As usual, Biden read haltingly from a teleprompter. He was even weaker when trying to respond to questions. Yeah, I agree. Those, the, that Q&A was awful. And his frequent and inappropriate grins were disconcerting. It is hard to escape the assumption that Biden's patent weakness as a leader was part of Vladimir Putin's calculation when he chose to invade. Biden emphasized the severity of the sanctions that we and other nations are imposing. Yes, I read that word, severe, while admitting that the prospect of sanctions didn't deter Russia's aggression. At the same time, it appears that some sanctions have not been imposed, such as anything directed specifically against Putin. Joe Biden would not answer that question from two different organizations. Why have sanctions not been imposed on Putin directly or involving the international SWIFT banking system? Joe Biden convinced or tried to convince the American people in the press corps that his sanctions are tougher than um, involving the SWIFT banking system. We'll ask Brandon Weikert about that a little bit later. That sounds to me like Doth protesting too much. While this was not clear, Biden gave the impression there may not have been full international backing for such additional sanctions. That is, in fact, what it did sound like. John continues that Biden made clear there will be no U.S. or NATO military responses to the invasion, despite his seemingly aggressive talk. The Ukrainians are on their own. It does raise the question with us, does it not? Since Joe Biden said it will take some time for these sanctions to work, some time longer than the time it'll take for Putin to take over and swallow the rest and digest the rest of Ukraine. It does It does raise the question, what is it we are prepared to do and just watch take place here? I'll get and circle back to that in a moment. Oh, John raises the question in his next point that I was raising. Biden drew a clear distinction between Ukraine, which we will not defend militarily, and all NATO states. He said, quote, U.S. will defend every inch of NATO territory, close quote. This includes the Baltics. We really going to go to war over Estonia? If Putin chooses the Baltics for his next target? And will the nations of Western Europe be willing to go to war over Estonia? We may soon find out because Joe Biden said this is all about Vladimir Putin wanting the old Soviet Union reconstituted. That would include, yeah, those three states, uh, Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia, that are indeed NATO members. When did they become NATO members? In the early aughts, I think. Pretty sure. He expressed Joe Biden did great concern about rising gas prices and called on American oil companies not to raise prices for the sake 
of increasing profits. Good God. Good luck with that, perhaps is the better way to put it. Gas and oil are international commodities that respond to market conditions. Prices will rise, and releasing a little more from our reserves or other countries' reserves will have little, if any, impact. Finally, Biden went on length about how badly international sanctions will damage Russia's economy, but he never mentioned the one step we could take that would most impact Russia while at the same time benefiting Americans and, might I add, maybe harming the Russians themselves just a little bit less. You know what that is, Bill? A rapid increase in our own oil and gas production. How about that? Biden claims to care deeply about freedom and democracy in Eastern Europe, but apparently he cares a lot more about the Green Lobby and its contributions to the Democratic Party. If you doubt that, wait till the end of the show. I have some audio I want to play. Maybe I'll play it sooner. I'm not sure. Of John Kerry, formerly the Secretary of State, now the climate czar, speaking to just this issue. I kid you not when I tell you John Kerry in a television interview said his greatest concern over this is the fact that it will disrupt climate discussions. I suppose that's a pretty good illustration of the fundamental difference between people with some common sense and realism and those who live in the dream palace of Marxist and leftist progressive ideology. Our view, the former view of the world, is that when you're under the boot of a dictator or being chased by a gun, the most important thing really isn't the polar ice caps. It really isn't. But if you're a leftist ideologue, it's always the most important thing because, you know, crisis industrial complex. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show as we're all kind of sitting around like the captured, uh, well, the sympathetic people who are watching the captured family of Kaiser Soze being unable to do anything about it, though they are the innocent victims of our own negligence. And we sit here, Roger Kimball, world-class intellect, often we are privileged to have him on this show, writes for The Spectator, Snap Quiz, and before I ask you this question, Please keep in the back of your mind everything you've ever heard every Democrat say about Donald Trump and Russia, okay? Just how close he was to Russia. Snap quit quiz. Who was the president when Vladimir Putin gobbled up Crimea? If you said Barack Obama, you go to the head of the class. What countries did Putin invade while Donald Trump was president? If you said none, stay at the head of the class or now you too can go to the head of the class. This is a harder one. Who was president when Putin once again violated Ukraine's borders, sending in Russian troops to two breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine? It's harder because the obvious answer, Joe Biden, is not wholly correct. Joe Biden is an empty shell. On good days, he looks like a mannequin. Really, though, he's a puppet, a creature controlled by others, the committee. I'm not more specific than saying that because I don't know for sure who has seats at the table. But if you said Joe Biden in response to the question, you'll get full points only if you added an asterisk next to his name. To appreciate what we are up against, ponder Joe Biden's performance at this roundtable about Ukraine. A reporter asks, quote, do you think you may have underestimated Putin? Biden smirks, looks vacantly about the room and then picks at his teeth. Answer came 
there none. The President of the United States, ladies and gentlemen, it is an unnerving exhibition. A few observations. First, remember that during the 2020 presidential campaign, Joe Biden, or a member of the committee, sent out this tweet, quote, Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. He doesn't want me to be our nominee. If you're wondering why, it's because I'm the only person in this field who's ever gone toe-to-toe with him, close quote. Vlad and Joe go toe-to-toe. Who do you think wins every single time? Donald Trump often remarked that it would be a good thing, not a bad thing, if the U.S. got on along well with Russia, and that sent the left into a, into a tizzy. Doesn't Trump know that Putin is a murderous thug who kills journalists, thinks the dissolution of the Soviet Union was a tragedy, and aims to restore as much Soviet territory as he, can, as he could for Russia? Precisely. And that is why it would be important, note the subjunctive, for the U.S. to get along with Russia. Reagan's mantra of peace through strength was also Trump's, which is why he spent a trillion or two restoring the military that had been depleted during Obama's eight years of folly and why he did everything he could to project American strength. He did not, however, start any wars. If you want to influence a potentially hostile foreign leader, especially one presiding over a state in demographic and economic collapse, and double especially if that state happens to be sitting on thousands of nuclear warheads, it's pretty important to keep the channels of communication open. Speaking of economic matters, do you remember the good old days when America was energy independent? Nay, when it was producing so much energy energy that it was actually a net exporter? Probably you do because it was as recently as 2020. Then came something new, the Biden administration, which was really something old. One of their first acts was to shut down the Keystone Pipeline, a major source of energy production, not to mention thousands of jobs in the U.S. At the same time, they green-lighted the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to bring gas from Russia to Germany. In response to Putin's excellent adventure in Ukraine, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz suspended certification of the pipeline. Suspended, that's important, but since Germany, having shuttered its nuclear power plants, is heavily dependent on the gas supplied from Russia... It's anyone's guess how long German resolve will last. I suspect very little. I bring in gas in order to present you with this cheery data point. In 2020, when Donald Trump was president, the price of national, excuse me, the price of natural gas was four dollars and thirty-six cents per a thousand cubic feet. Donald Trump, four dollars and thirty-six. In 2021, with Joe Biden presiding. Prices more than doubled, averaging $9 per thousand cubic feet. Not only does that mean that it costs more to heat your house this winter, it also means that the U.S. is helping to fund Russia's military adventurism. You got that? We are helping to fund it while depriving our people of any savings. I'm not sure that most Americans could locate Ukraine on a map. That's okay. Truth is, our interest in the region is likely negligible. It has been important to Hunter Biden's cash flow, it's true, and it has furnished Joe Biden with an opportunity to display thuggishness on television, but it is a thoroughly corrupt state that is teetering on the edge of economic collapse. Some cynical commentators think that the media and the committee are riveted on Ukraine as a way of distracting attention from such things as runaway inflation, the stock market disintegration, and the institution 
a police tyranny in Canada. It sounds plausible. By the way, what was the biggest story last week, if not the Ukraine? At least for us. Do you remember? Can I remind you? Hillary Clinton? Surveilling? Candidate Trump and President Trump? Creating a false story and giving it to law enforcement so it could have a reinforced loop of a feed of another series of news stories that law enforcement was now looking in to what was surveilled and found to be false? You think that story's ever coming back? You think? Well, maybe if there's an indictment. In any event, as Roger Simon observed, the crisis in Ukraine is entirely on Joe Biden. We're told that Biden's approval rating is down to about 39%. That's the official number. The real number, I suspect, is in single digits. I, I don't want this to be in any sense cause for conservative joy. It's not cause for happiness. We don't engage in schadenfreude over our president losing massive support in the midst of a crisis, be it economic, international, military, you name it, in the midst of a crisis. You want a strong leader. We don't have one. That's the tragedy. That's the sadness. And while we Americans tend to go along with this bad idea of a joke, this fiction, this, this, this king with no clothes, if you will, admiring how fancy and good the king looks, we America go along with that. We just live our lives knowing that we have a president who's incontinent. But you know who doesn't? You know who doesn't? His address is in Moscow. Ding, 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 right? Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, brought to you live at the Guns Etc. Studios. I, um, I want to come back to that song. Um, the audience has to suffer what my friends will not appease. The audience has to suffer. I have run something by seven or eight of my closest friends. None of them are giving me any traction on this, so I will inflict it on the audience. We'll do it in the next – well, you want to do it here real quick? Do we have time? Okay, fine. I think I have blown open a scandal that didn't know it was about to occur that is going to have a lot to do with plagiarism and music rights and ASCAP and all that sort of stuff, BMI, you name it. I think, I, I think I'm the first to do this. We played the bumper music from Glenn Campbell yesterday from his song, what? What was the, what was it? Yeah, Try a Little Kindness from 1970. Here's the chorus. It's the same song as the Big Red commercial. Kiss a little longer. Try, it's the same chorus. I just think this is, okay, none of my friends are giving me traction on this. You guys can tell me. Interestingly enough, when you look up that ad campaign by Wrigley and that song, neither of them reference one another, which I take as evidence that I am onto something. I think the cover-up is tremendous. You want to talk a little bit about education in Arizona and what, parent, what teachers are doing to kids when the parents aren't looking. Shuri Sapir is on the case. She's going to join us in just a few moments. Don't go away. We will be right back. We're firing on a lot of issues here today. It's a busy and big country, right? Of course it is. And it's a dangerous world making this 
all the more important. I'm Seth. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.